Blog Talk Radio. So it's, it's been a long time since we've actually had uh, technical difficulties. Uh, I can blame this one on, on my partner who, for the, for, to be now to be fair, most 95% of the time they've been my problems, um, as most things in life are. This one, eh, for some reason it was sent to 15-minute show, not, not an hour. So hopefully he'll call in in a little while. Let's see if we can get the intro going. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass, there's a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. He got it. He got it. Seth got the. Seth yeah. got it done. Only took about four years. Three years, <laughs> two and a half, something like that. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. Seth is showing sports radio on the Back Sports Page channel. Uh, congratulations. What else can I say? Okay. Now, now to be fair. <laughs> I, I, now, not only am I giving am I giving my partner Dap for his team doing well, but he came up with a very prescient point, and it's absolutely true. And I probably should have given it some thought. You know, Syracuse forgetting whether they deserve deserve to be in there or not. And there was a very funny article on um, SB Nation, pretty much Syracuse apologizing for uh, getting in. Um, but the the reality is with with a team like like Syracuse, and they've been extremely successful as, as a sec, as a as a double digit seed. The reason they do so well is because they play such a unique kind of defense that it's not a team. It's not a it's not a it's not a team that you can really prepare for in a day. And with even with a team as talented as Michigan State, their defense is so different and so unusual. Michigan State. I mean, I didn't see most of the game. Neither did you, for that matter. Michigan State shot what? 30% no, I did. From the floor? No, I watched the, the game. game. I watched it. I watched it from my phone at the Islander game, and my niece and nephew were wondering how I could be so happy when the Islanders were down two nothing. And I just started laughing, and I said, "Guys, Uncle Sean's going to be very happy the whole day, no matter what happens." And look, I I told you this two or three years ago, and I don't remember exactly when. I said, 48 hours to get the zone doesn't work. It doesn't. And for, forever, we are so much better on – I don't know how many second – look, we've lost the first game of a weekend often. I'm not sure how many games – I'd like to get that stat. I think I'm going to figure it out. How many games we've lost on the second game of a weekend where you only have two days? And – I got to think over historically, we're actually much better on the second weekend than we are the first. It it just goes to stand to reason. Now, Michigan State did not shoot incredibly well. Um, Do I chalk that up to all of the zone? No, they had had a bad shooting day. 
I mean, they really did. They shot like 30%. Couldn't hit a three. They couldn't hit a three. I don't think they scored a field goal for the last five to six minutes of the game. I mean, this is not the Michigan State that, that we saw all year. But to be fair, the one thing that Syracuse does well is play the zone. And they've been playing it all year that way. And the three teams that they have played have all been averaging in the 70s or in Michigan State's the eight case, the 80s in points throughout the regular season. Syracuse has held them all under 58. They slowed the game down. And they play basically giant football on a basketball court. Yeah. It's not pretty to watch. It's not particularly no. fun. But it has been successful. The we last don't care. Week. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah, yeah. We, and I think that's the thing that people were saying today. I saw a number of good articles. If you take the name Syracuse out of this team, okay, and you make it College of Charleston, or you make it Georgia Tech, or you make it any other team but Syracuse, the embattled Syracuse over the last four years, this is a Cinderella team. They're an 11 seed going yeah. to the Sweet 16. This is a Cinderella. This, this is Loyola on the other side. So I don't, I, I, the SB Nation, and, and it's actually Nunes is, is, is a magician, is the it's one that wrote it. magician, yeah. Yeah, we, we apologize. We apologize to everybody for screwing over their brackets. We apologize to everybody for watching very, very slow basketball. And I say we because I'm part of that. I'm not saying I, I – look, my brother says it all the time. You, you say you're a we, but yet you are not part of the – you're not part of the team. That's right. I'm not part of the team. And I, I don't think I generally say we are moving on. But I do say I'm not apologizing for this team. I have not the entire year apologized for this team. This team is exactly what you've seen the last three games. That's what they are. Yeah. But they play yeah. teams in the regular season – that have seen the zone over and over and over again because they've played Syracuse over and over and over again. And that's why I think they are going to get killed this week. I mean, the spread is 12 and a half. I think Duke may cover because Duke has seen this zone. This zone. Krzyzewski? Krzyzewski's learned the zone from Bayheim on the Olympic team. They have six days to prepare. They have two big men in, Mar- in Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley who are more talented and, and more authoritative. Authoritative? Is that the word I'm looking for? Authoritative. 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 Thank you. Authoritative than Jaron Jackson was. They just are. Jaron Jackson was completely passive in that game. Yeah, do I think Syracuse is going to lose this week? Yes. Did I think that they were going to lose last week? Yes. Should I pick them over Michigan State? Yeah, but I don't think anybody did, including myself. No. But, yeah, I think they're going to lose this week. But you know what? Again, you play without your point guard for the last seven minutes. And I've said this at work the entire week. If they played a man-to-man defense and lost their point guard for the last seven minutes of the game, the game would have been over. Because they played a walk-on for the last seven minutes of the game at point guard. Yeah. 
a former walk-on, first-year scholarship, first year. He was division. He played Division three ball for, for two years ago, and he came as a preferred walk-on. So Frank Howard fouls out with about six and a half minutes to go. They bring on this walk-on because they don't have another guard. Battle and Howard play every minute of every game. So they bring on this guard who they can hide in a zone. If this was man-to-man, Michigan State's guards would have been able to run around him over and over and over again. But they were not able to because of the zone. The zone hides defensive deficiencies. And well, why don't you explain the game down. Yeah. Why is Syracuse's zone? So di- now, obviously, man-to-man has become more and more prevalent in the college game as opposed to in the 80s sure. where, where it was a lot more college, a lot more, a lot more zone-based. Why is Syracuse's zone different? Why is Syracuse's okay. zone so, so, much more, so much more difficult to decipher than other more typical zones? Okay, because, so there are a couple of reasons. Number one, Bayheim recruits guys for the zone. So if you look at these guys' wingspans, now you and I have talked about this numerous times. Syracuse has the tallest front line in the NCAA, 6'9", 6'9", 7'3". And Chuku's got arms that just, I think, go from one end of the court to the other. Then he's got two guys up top that are 6'4 and 6'6", in Howard and in Battle. Those are tall guards, and they're long guards. And if you remember back to any of the Syracuse teams, you're going to remember Hakeem Warwick with long arms. They just recruit for that. Now, why is the zone? So you get a hand in the zone, long arms, right? You, you cause steals. Number two, they don't play a straight 2-3. Sometimes they play a 3-2. They'll bring the guys up, and then they'll bring them back down. The thing, that you, the thing that will kill the zone, there are two things, the Syracuse zone in particular. Number one is if you've got a guy that can get the ball at the elbow, turn around, and hit jump shots. Sort of like a Nick Collison guy. That's who I first think about. A guy that will just set up right at that elbow and shoot. That is devastating to the zone. And number two, a guy that can set up there and pass. And that's why I think that Marvin Bagley is like the perfect zone buster because he's got talent and he can sit up there. Okay. Now, the main reason why the zone is so much diff- more difficult in Syracuse than anywhere else, they don't play anything else, Seth. That's it. If you had a team that just consistently shot three-pointers and shot absolutely nothing else, you would hope that they would be the best three-point team in the nation. Because all they do is shoot three-pointers. All they did. They wouldn't have to concentrate on anything else. They just concentrate on that. Well, Syracuse, about 20 years ago, I think right before I went to school, I think in 92 or 93, said, screw it. We're not going to play man-to-man anymore, ever. They never play man-to-man, Seth. They have not played man-to-man in over 15 years. Not one, not one basket has been the man-to-man. Even in their press, they're in the zone. That's insane to me. Fair enough. As my as my son, who has now become obsessed with basketball, the easiest way to call me a bad parent, but man, he I put on I just put on the NIT just because it was just on ESPN and went to the NIT. 
He's just going shoot and, and clapping every time someone makes a basket. Except he said no, 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 no when the guy from Marquette took a bad shot. My son knows That's basketball fantastic. better than so, so he's becoming Dikembe Mutombo. Does he exactly. do the finger wag? He doesn't do the finger. He does not do the finger oh, wag. Got, he does the finger wag. Got teach him he does the finger wag. He does the finger wag for not nice. But I don't think <laughs> I don't know if that's the kind of smack talk that we we use during uh, on one of the during, that we use. So if a really fun first four days of the tournament, the upsets are plenty. Um, you know, starting with UM with uh, Buffalo absolutely beating the living bejesus out of our finalists Arizona, and then being one upped by UMBC deciding that the Terrapins are now the second-best team in the state of Maryland with an absolute sensational effort to destroy Virginia. But it does kind of bring up a question, which, um, you know, I've been kind of playing with a little bit. Everyone has said that this is the biggest upset in the history of college basketball from the, in the tournament. That's not true. That's not true. I don't think I agree. You don't think That's people have said true. this? No, I don't think you disagree. It's true. People said this. You disagree that it, I don't. I don't either. And the okay. reason, the reason I don't know if your reason rationale is going to be the same as mine is the way is because Virginia. You know, even Virginia has no overwhelming talent. Meaning, as good a as good a team as they are, and this is a credit to Tony Bennett. There's no single player who can take over a game. There's no single. You know, there's no Bagley. There's no DeAndre Ayton. There's no Trey Young. Heck, there's, I mean, there's barely a Frank Howard. I mean, you know, yep. or a Kevin Herter in a Maryland case, which means that the bar is set very high for them in regards to if, they play, if, they're, if they're having trouble, there's not a guy who can bring them out, who can single-handedly take them out of it. And we kind yep. of talked about that when DeAndre Hunter went down, that this was going to really be a problem because this is a team that always kind of as good as they were this year, and they were sensational. This was a team that was going to have a problem um, if, when games were close simply because they didn't have that one guy who could take over. And when I look at the, some of the bigger upsets over the last 10 years, you know, some of these teams are players that were the national player of the year. There were teams that had guys who could take over games be it Duke, be it Michigan State. To me, those, I think those 14-3, 15-2 games may have been a bigger upset than UVA, as stunning as UVA was. And I think the even bigger shock was how easily they won that game because that game was not even close in the last 15 minutes. Agreed. So, so the, the depth in which they beat the crap out of them was far more shocking than the fact that they lost. I mean, you and I discussed this even last week. I said Virginia was not was the best team in the nation by default. They weren't the best team in the nation. They had the best record, but I think I had them out in the Sweet 16. I mean, I didn't think I had them going very as, far. As did I. Yeah, so well, we had them losing so, to Arizona. <laughs> okay, whatever. So we have them losing yeah. to a four seed and a one seed over a four seed. But the fact is, I don't think either one of us. And, and people at large did not view Virginia in the number one overall. I mean, the fact that they were put in that bracket meant that they did not have the respect of the committee, even though that bracket has not come out the way that we thought. I don't think they had the respect of the committee. I don't think they're a true number one seed. I never did. 
and that's not to say I picked them over, uh, pick UMBC over them. That's that's insane. I never would have done that. But if you're looking for big upsets, why do we have to go any worse or any further than North Carolina State over Houston? Why? Well, I I don't see any difference there. I, that's as big an upset as you can find. You can find Villanova over Georgetown, and I get that these are higher seeds that are facing probably closer in talent. But, again, you've said this before, I've said this before, Virginia was a default number one. It's not that they were great. It's that everybody else stunk. This is not a great year in basketball. Basketball has gotten less and less talent in it due to the NBA We've been saying this for five, six years now. Ever since we started the show, I think this has been a, a main cog in our wheelhouse. College basketball just isn't talent, as talented. There are talents. But let's look at who's going to go in the top five of the NBA draft beyond DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley. Trey Young's not going in the top five. Guys are potential going in the top five, like Jaron Jackson, who's who only played 15 minutes against Syracuse. That guy's going in the top five. So what happens is the, the talent's gone, just not as talented. I, I, I completely agree with you in that this is nowhere close to the biggest upset of all time. Nowhere. Not, not even remotely close. But props to that. I mean – I'd also like to say that now now I don't have to hear about Syracuse losing to Richmond as the first 15 over the two because now there's a 16 over a one. Thank you very much. I'm not sure how many people really bring up the Billy Owens game in 1987, but um, or 88, I guess. But I always remember it because the Richmond coach, Dick Tarrant, was my dad's track coach at Passaic High. Go figure. Um, <laughs> that being said, it was a fun four days, though. It was fun because, because in part, the dominating teams, other than Villanova. Dude, we can barely hear you. We can barely hear you. Try again. Oh, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure why. Um, because there's so few teams. Now I can't hear dominant. you at all. Now I can't hear you at all. When you, when you brought the phone I, closer, I could hear you. Okay. Can you, hear, can you hear me now? Yes. Much better. All right. So... What I was saying is, other than Villanova and Duke, there really have been no extraordinarily impressive teams. Villanova cruised, Duke cruised, but it's been a very fun tournament. Whether it's watching Sister Jean in Loyola, whether it's watching Eric Musselman lead his sixth, his, I finally found a, deem, a team that, that, that Syracuse looks deeper than. Nevada goes, I think, five deep. I'm pretty sure that's it. You know, they come back from 22 down against Cincinnati. You know, watching North Carolina lose always brings a smile to my face. And while the, it's, it's interesting because I do like seeing, you know, while I love the upsets, it's going to be, you know, I, I, it's going to be a strange Sweet 16 because there's just not that many games that I really find that exciting. Duke Hughes, as I said, you know, as you kind of put, not really that exciting. Um, Nevada, Loyola, Chicago, fun, but not really that exciting. Gonzaga, Florida State, I, 
I watched Florida State beat Xavier, and man, Xavier got ugh, good lord, they got jobbed. I thought on a bunch of calls late, but Florida, you know, Florida State is so athletic. I don't know how they lose. I don't know how they're an eight seed every year. They have so much talent. I mean, so much athleticism. You know, I don't see that being great. Kentucky, Kansas State. Kansas State doesn't deserve to be there. I mean, that that game set back basketball 20 years against UMBC in the second round. It was brutal. You know, as I look around, and there's just not that – there's nothing really that, to be honest, exciting to me for the Sweet 16. Other than Syracuse-Duke, is there anything that's really hitting you? Well, I'd like to say that Kentucky just uh... – while John Calipari wasn't exactly happy with his seed, he kind of is now. I yeah. mean, right? I mean, he, he's got it. Yeah. From what I see, he's got a cakewalk into the Final Four. Now, granted, we've said that about a couple of teams that are now out of, out of, out of the game. But they, they have to be Kansas State and then probably have to beat either Nevada or Loyola. Well, not probably. They have yeah. to beat either Nevada yeah. or Loyola. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, they have a cake. They have a cakewalk. I, I'd be shocked if it's not them. I like the Villanova West Virginia game. I think that's going to be. It's an interesting dichotomy of styles. I mean, I love. Look at I you using CJ. Look at you using these big words. I'm very impressed. Well, I, well, and here's the bigger impression. I'm going to love seeing Jay Wright in his like two thousand dollar suit, and Bob Huggins <laughs> in his like twenty five dollar sweatshirt. It's kind of like Tom Landry versus Bill Belichick in, in styles of, of clothing. And I, I'm going to – I'll watch that. Like, I'm actually looking forward to that game because maybe I – look, I root against Villanova all the time. Uh, the Big East history, have no desire to see Villanova win. And when I saw them win a couple of years ago, I was basically shaking my head. So I'll watch that game. I want to see – I'm interested in seeing Purdue-Texas Tech, and it's for no other reason than if you saw the, the wire today that Purdue's engineering team, the whole engineering yeah. school, is trying to get that guy, the center, the seven foot two center, who has a broken elbow. They're trying to find a way to get this guy a brace that is, <laughs> that is okayed by the NCAA to play. Now, <laughs> I don't know how you play with a broken elbow to begin with. Like that just that just seems off the off the rails. Like you're putting your your health in danger by playing with a broken elbow. But I I legitimately when we want to see if they have come, if engineering in Purdue, which is one of the good engineering programs in the country, comes up with a elbow brace for this guy and he's able to play. So I'll definitely watch that game, or at least some of that game. And obviously, I'm going to be watching Syracuse. That, that's, that's a no-brainer, right? Uh, Kansas, Clemson, no desire. Florida State, Gonzaga, again, two different styles of ball. And I'm going to watch Michigan, Texas A&M for no other reason than I want Michigan to lose. I mean <laughs> – I mean, I don't. I, I mean, the only rooting interest that I have in this entire tournament right now is teams to lose, not teams to win, outside from Syracuse. So I, I don't have a vesting interest in any of these guys. But if I look, if you if you had to put a lie detector on me, I'd say 
I want Nova to lose. I want Michigan to lose, and I want Kentucky to lose. <laughs> so, but I don't care who they're playing. I just don't want to see them in the Final Four. Yeah, so, I, see, to me, I do. I I'd like to see three or, three of the four big names get in. I would like to see Kentucky get knocked out because I, I would be fascinated by any of the other three teams just to make it that far. I mean, right. a Loyola Chicago team, which I think will beat Nevada, but I mean, I, I can't see it. Villanova, you know, we kind of thought they had a cakewalk in. I, we, I think we all thought they had the easiest draw in with, you know, and especially now with Haas out and they've looked, they've looked excellent. You're right, though. West Virginia is an interesting, is a pretty interesting matchup. Um, Duke, you know, Duke, Duke is Duke. Yeah, you know, nobody wants to see Duke good. win. No, Kansas, Kansas has not looked particularly impressive, and if if Kansas is playing like this, Duke will blow them out in the blow them, blow them out in the sweet in the eight. Um, you know, but again, I'll, at the end of the day, I'll still be watching all of it. So. Yeah, well, and, what, you know, what's I'll interesting? I'll be working while I watch it, but I'll be working while we're watching. Yeah, what's interesting, Seth, is I got a text from my cousin last week, right before the Michigan State uh, Syracuse game, and he goes, "Man, I hope Syracuse wins." And I thought he was pulling for me. I was like, "This is great. My cousin's great. He's a great guy. I'm happy for him." And just now, I realized he went to Duke. So, of course, he's rooting for Syracuse to win. I just thought of that. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he went to Duke. Of course, he's rooting for Syracuse. I didn't even put the two and two together when I wrote him after the game. Yippee, we won. Didn't even put it together that he's not rooting for Duke. He's rooting against Michigan State. <laughs> yeah. I was Can't like, I was like. Better. No, not in the – it would have been better had I realized. <laughs> but, no, can't, can't, can't blame him in the, in the fight. So, so we'll talk about uh, – actually, our show next week is our baseball preview, which will be 90 minutes long, but we will get into, obviously, the NCAA finals, uh, the Final Four, and uh, our predictions there, too. Uh, a little segue over to the NFL, where – the Giants are in the Giants are in the leaderboard. Like they're in the driver's seat here as far as the NFL draft due to the Jets making a big trade and you never hear that the Jets actually benefit the Giants. But now they do. A big trade, the Jets trade three second round draft picks and their first rounder to this year, including Seattle's and theirs and then their second next year. For, to move up three spots in the NFL draft. And now, I think for the first time, no, not the first time in history, Derek Brown and Johnny Mitchell went back-to-back. But in a long time, I think almost 20 years, the Jets and Giants have back-to-back picks in the NFL draft. And if David Gettleman wants to, he could trade that pick for a ransom at this point. The question is, and we've talked about this before, is who is going to trade for the pick? Because I mean, we've heard Buffalo bandied about, but the reality is at 12, if 12 is the first pick that we're looking at, Buffalo is going to probably have to offer up two ones, a two, and a three. 
And I don't oh, know. Oh, I think, it, I think it's even box. more. I think it's even more. I, I think, think it's they, more than they two would ones, have to two offer. Two and a three. Yeah, I think they have to offer up the two ones this year, 12 and 21. Sorry, 12 and, yeah, 12 and 21. Their first next year, and their two this year, at least their two this year, and a three next year. I mean, I think they have so you're saying three, three number ones. Three ones. Three ones, a two, and a three. Yeah. Three ones. It's just, it's just, and it may, and Seth, it may be more. I mean, it may considerably be more. Because, so the Jets move up three slots and have to give up three, three twos and their one to jump ahead of Denver. And that's basically what they did. All they did was jump ahead of Denver or jump ahead of anybody that Cleveland is going to trade with, right? Because you know, yeah. you, you, you know Indy's not taking a quarterback. So the only t- And if Cleveland keeps their pick, they're not taking two quarterbacks. So basically they're jumping Denver. Now you're moving from 12 from Buffalo to, th- to two. So you're moving up 10 slots, not three. You've got to give up a lot more. I mean, a lot more. Yeah. So, but here's an interesting thing that, that has ruminated in my mind. And you tell me how this works. So, you're on the clock. Cleveland's on the clock at one. Okay, so they're taking their time, right? Because remember, when, you're on the, when you have the first pick in the draft, you're allowed to talk to as many draft picks as you want beforehand and negotiate contracts, right? It's part of the deal, Mm -hmm. being number one, because you had the first pick. What if Cleveland traded number four to Buffalo? So they trade number four to Buffalo, right? And Buffalo picks, and and they give, so four to 12, 12 to four. So they give up both both, uh, both number ones and the number two next year to move up those eight slots. Okay, so now now Buffalo's got number four. So now can Buffalo move to two for the Giants? So they give up their pick this year and their number one next year and the number three, their Cleveland's number three pick this year and their four pick next year to jump up two slots so the Giants only drop down two and have the four pick. Yes. I think that would do it because it, dep- and it really depends on the Giants, my assumption. I shouldn't say, I don't know what the Giants are going to do. We know they're going most likely in one of two directions if they keep two. If they keep two, they're either going Barkley or Darnold. Or Barkley or one of the quarterbacks. I'm assuming it'll be Darnold. Um, as, now, I don't know how much they like the other quarterbacks. I'm assuming they like Rosen. Allen kind of feels like a Jets pick to me, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Well, I want him, he, so he, I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah. He has that. To me, he has the feel of okay. They have Bridgewater. They have McCown. He can legitimately sit for a year to two years yep. and really learn this stuff. Agreed. Now, the problem that the Jets have, the problem the Jets have with this, is they need. If they don't win this year, or at the latest next year, 
their coach and GM are gone. Agreed. So the problem with taking someone like Allen, who is, and I'm kind of just hypothesizing a little bit. The problem with taking someone like Allen is Allen is the least ready out of our, my understanding. And I think yours as well to be a starter yep. in the NFL. Yep. So how, but, they don't need it. Fired, but they don't need it. Hold it. But they don't need it. So did the Jets come close to making the playoffs last year? No. Yes. Yes, they did. Before McGowan got hurt in week 13, they were one game out of a playoff spot. Yes, they were. At any point, I remember, but at any point did you feel that they were going to make a run at the playoffs? No, we talked but the about point that. is, hold on, but the, but the point is that, so now they play a last-place schedule, right? They play a last-place schedule as, as opposed to a second-place schedule, which they played last year. That's number one. Okay. Number two, they've improved the they've improved the team throughout with free agents. They got the best cornerback in free agency. They got another. They they re-signed Claiborne. They got a bunch of guys. I think they're a better team than they were last year. So can they can if they go eight and eight or nine and seven? Do Bowles and and I can never remember the guy uh, Double M but, Mike McGowan yeah. McGillicuddy. We'll call him McGillicuddy. Mike McGillicuddy. Do they keep their jobs if they're nine and seven, even if they make, miss the playoffs? I think they do. They do, but I don't think they get an extension. Okay, so they get I, one I, more I year, think... and that's when you bring in Allen. So pretty much, you're doing the John Kitna Carson Palmer move. Absolutely. That you hope that. Yes, that's exactly what you're doing. You're doing a John Kitna, Carson Palmer. You're doing a Steve McNair and Chris Chandler. Yeah, you're doing all that. You're letting them sit for a year. And if McCown's not the guy, that's why you got Bridgewater there. And Bridgewater, they're both only on one-year deals. This, they're preparing for a guy to take over year two. I think it'll work. Which is I think why it'll it, work. But, which, is, which is why it seems so weird to me that they brought in Bridgewater. Or why Bridgewater would sign there, I should say. Um, well, I, I, well, the Bridgewater yeah, contract is, is very interesting. The Bridgewater contract is ridiculously interesting. So let, let me say it very quickly, because I don't want to spend the whole time on just the Jets and Giants. So Bridgewater signed and only has $500,000 guaranteed. So let's understand that. They can cut him any day before day one of the season and only lose five hundred grand. Okay, if he is on the if he is on the roster on day one, he makes six million dollars for the year. If he is on the roster for every game, sorry, not every game, yeah, every game on the roster, not playing, but on the roster, he passes for three thousand yards, which twenty two quarterbacks did last year. He passes for 25 touchdowns, which Bridgewater has not done, and he plays 50% of the plays. He will make $15 million. So why did Teddy Bridgewater did why did Teddy Bridgewater sign there? Because he has a he has a chance to start, while there's no other franchise that would have given him that. You don't and think by having that given him a shot? 
No, I think Arizona wants Sam Bradford from the get-go. They signed Bradford before Bridgewater. They had the opportunity. One year. I thought they signed. Okay, I. Would well, you Bradford have... signed for a two. Bradford signed for a two-year deal, with fifteen million guaranteed. No. Oh, Bradford. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you said fifteen million guaranteed. No, fifteen million guaranteed. So yeah, they obviously got their guy, and then they signed Mike Lennon on top of that, which boggles my mind. Two guys that can't stay healthy. So. Well, wait a minute. Lennon can stay healthy. He just was lousy last year. Um, that too. Okay, so so let's get back to my scenario. So. I can see the Bills doing that. That would take a whole lot of draft capital. But I think in combination, it would t- you'd actually jump from four to two would be less than the Jets paid in three num- number twos. Ow. Well, that to could be. As a, Giants fan, I, as a Giants fan, I don't really have a huge issue with it. Because right. to me, if they want a quarterback – they're going to get, they'll get one. It may not be their top choice of one. I mean, as of now, my thought is Darnold's going one. Barkley's, Barkley or Rosen is going two. Allen's going three. Mm-hmm. And again, I could be wrong. And then four is four at Cleveland. If Darnold's not, if, if, if Barkley's not there, they probably, they either go Nelson or they go, they go cornerback. So, well, you know, you'll, you'll, hold on. So, so you just had, so you had a quarterback going one and a quarterback going three, right? Yes. And you had Barkley going two, or did you have quarterbacks now, going one, two, and three? I have quarter. My my feeling is, as a Giants fan, I you know my feelings on Barkley. So I know. four, either they get either four, they get Barkley or they get Rosen. That's my thought. No, it's you. Wait, if you're I'm, I'm conf- right. It's the Giants trade out of two. Yes. The That's Giants correct. trade from two to four. Yep. I think they, my guess is they get part. I, as I said, I think the Jets want, want Josh Allen. That is my guess. I, yes. I don't know anything. I would agree with you. At that. And I think Rosen, I think both either guy would actually fit the Giants pretty well. Now I kind of like the idea of Davis Webb. I mean, I guess, I guess I really don't have that much to really base it on. Dude, but, if you're going – hold on. If you're going for two to four, there's no quarterback available. Well, then you get Barkley at four. Right. That's what would happen. I'm saying – Because the only reason well, to trade up to two, the only reason to trade up to two is to get a quarterback. Take a quarterback. And if, yes. and if the Browns don't take a quarterback at number one, they're not trading number four because they're going to take the quarterback I agree. at four. So Completely agree. So, it, so the only option that you're getting at four is Barkley, which is not a bad option that's if that's who they want. But if that's who they, if that's, if that's who their number one choice is, you know what? And you can pick up two more number ones, or a number two, or a number no, one, you, two number ones, or whatever, a one, a three, a one, a one, and a two, an extra one and an extra two to do it. Yep. So be it. Yep, I, I agree, and that's what you'd get. You'd probably get next next year's one, next year, not this year's one. You get next year's one, a two this year, and a three this year to do that. 
and the three is the top three in the draft in, in the draft, Cleveland's three, in all likelihood. It really depends on what Buffalo has to give up to get from twelve to four. Right? Because Yeah. You have to see what they have because left. Because then they right, what what do they have left? And they'd be basically to do that, they'd have to give up uh, and they do look, Buffalo is, is stacked this year in the draft. They have two ones, two twos, and two threes. And and those two two, that second two and that second three, are Cle- no are Cleveland's? No, the three's Cleveland's. I don't know who the two two is, but the fact is they have high draft picks, so they can make a jump, in my opinion, from twelve to four. The question is whether they have enough to go from four to two. I don't know. It has been a but anyway. It has been a pretty. It has been a pretty entertaining first week. Some contracts, you know, what, what to you were the best deals that you saw? What, what to you raised your eyebrows? I guess let's start it that way. Well, Sam Bradford and Mike Lennon being the only two quarterbacks in, <laughs> in Phoenix, I shook my head. I was like, really? That happened? Um, Green Bay going into the free agency world and picking up both Mo Wilkerson on a one-year deal. And Jimmy Graham on a three-year deal, three years and thirty million. The last time that the Packers spent that much was back when the whole salary cap was equal to what almost Kirk Cousins is making this year. Yeah, ruminate on that one for a while. The first salary <laughs> cap was actually thirty-four million dollars. For ladies and gentlemen, that's not the salary cap for quarterbacks. That's not the salary cap you're starting on. Up. That's the that's the 50 man roster with 34 million dollars. <laughs> Kirk Cousins is making almost that much this year, so that surprised me. Uh, Kirk Cousins only signing for three years surprised me. Is he's going to get another contract like this one? We talk about Sam Bradford making money. Kirk Cousins may make more money than anybody in NFL history by the time this is all said and done. And yeah, that's the first. Do you, do you know who holds that record? Most money in NFL history. Is it Bradford? No, it's it's Peyton Manning. Do, do you know who number two is? I know it's not Brady. Um, nope. Got to be a quarterback who was around forever. I don't think it'd be Roethlisberger. Who is it? I don't know. It's Eli. That actually makes a lot of sense. So I was close with Roethlisberger. You're in the right draft. But yeah, so Eli's made number two. So the, so the Manning brothers are one and two. But if you look at Cousins, Cousins has made 55. He's going to make another 90, guaranteed. So he's got 144. He's got to make $80 million and he, to, to break Peyton's record. And he's going to be a free agent again at age 32. Only at 30? Is he 29? I thought he was 27. He's, 20, he's 29 years old. Really? He's but been in the league for seven years? Yeah. Remember, you signed, sound, con- right. you, signed, you signed a three-year contract. You signed a four-year contract. Then you get tendered. Then you get franchised twice. Seven years. How? 
He's gone year that to is, year for the last three right. years. But he, 32 years old, he's going to make the most money in NFL history, probably. And he's really not that good. I mean, he's good, but he's no. not. He's not Peyton Manning. He's a better. He's a he, better than average quarterback. Yeah. So that that was a little surprising. The other surprising one was that Sheldon Richardson only got one year and eight million dollars, and he went to the Vikings. So so the Seahawks. Oh, there was one other, but the Seahawks traded a number two and Jermaine Curse for a guy that stayed half a season. So, and the other one that was completely surprising was we talked last week about Kyle Fuller getting transitioned by, transition tagged by the uh, Bears, which allowed for, I think it was 12 and a half, 12 and a half million dollars, give or take. For $15 million, they could have franchised him, which meant nobody could have touched him. Well, the Packers swooped in and decided they were going to make Kyle Fuller an offer. And they made him a four-year, almost $64 million offer, $16 million a year, with 35 in the first two years, guaranteed. So the Bears, who were penny-wise and incredibly pound-foolish, uh, lost about eh, $30 million. And good on the Packers for, for, you know, we always wonder about teams that won't put offers out for the sake of putting offers out just so your team could, you, you may get stuck with that contract. But good on the Packers. They basically tied up a ton of money on the Bears cap arrival, even though they may have won at Kyle Fuller. What about yourself? What would you, you see as, uh, as surprises? As much as they needed it, I was stunned how much the Giants paid for Nate Soldier. Stunned. For a very good, for a solid player who's never been to a Pro Bowl, never been to an All-Pro, four years, $62 million. Mind-boggling to me. Um, I thought the Browns did, I mean, the Browns pretty much signed everybody. Um, I, I I thought the Browns did well getting Hyde for $15 million over three. I think he's a solid running back. And I think the Jets did excellent getting Isaiah Crowell for, four, for three years and $12 million. I think that's a great pickup. Um, I think I may like him a little bit more than you do. You do? Uh, there was one up. Yeah, I, I don't love the Packers signing Graham for three years and 30. I don't think Graham is earned, is, is good as Rodgers has been with tight ends. I don't think Graham is, you know, Graham seems to be past his prime in that regard. Um, I don't like what the Giants have done. I don't like the Stewart pickup for two years and $8 million. I think that's a bit too much. Um, I'm trying to think of what's, oh, yeah. Paul Richardson for $40 million, 20 guaranteed with the Redskins. I, I, I don't even that's know so, what to say about that. Wait, that's Sylvester Richardson. Sylvester no, Paul Williams. Richardson. Oh, Paul, Paul Richardson. Richardson. Right, right. Sorry. The the Who, the Redskins have signed a bunch of players this week. And I, the other one was the Sammy Watkins deal to Kansas City. For Sammy Watkins, who right. is really not done very much as a pro, $48 million, 30 guaranteed. For what? At a certain... You know... I guess I, 
I don't believe in a lot of these deals until I see them. But thirty, you know, thirty million dollars guaranteed for Sammy Watkins. Um, you know, they signed Hitchens for nine. Can see signed Hitchens, I think, for nine million. You know, don't love the the Ogletree deal. I like, but I I I, just, I don't love what they're paying them. I don't know. I mean, just like everything else in free agency, just seems vastly overpay- a lot of vast overpayments to me, just like it typically is. Well, right. Well, and and as you know, it's all about what the market is, right? So I didn't quite understand the wide re- the wide receiver market went nuts. I mean, absolutely ridiculously nuts. So so this mor- this afternoon, Alan Hearns, the uh, the wide receiver from Jacksonville, got. Re- got released. Why? Jacksonville decided that paying Dante Moncrief was a better idea. Same amount of money. Ugh. Right. Same amount of money. Like, Dante it, Moncrief is a disaster. So basically, and look, we're, we're on the sidelines, right? We're, we're not, obviously, NFL scouts. We don't see these guys practice and whatnot. But it seems the modus operandi for NFL teams is the grass is always greener on the other side. It's like, okay, well, our guy wasn't great, so we'll sign somebody else's guy that we think is going to be great. But our guy was better last year and has a better skill set, but we're going to take the risk, right? That, to me, makes no sense. I was also pretty surprised that Jordy Nelson got cut but I was really happy to see him wind up on the Raiders. Like, if, if there's a team that I want to see that guy wind up on, it's the Raiders. It feels, I think I want it feels to see like every, kind of a pretty good fit. I, I, I want to see every guy that's cut wind up on the Raiders. Like, I just think that they are, like, the revenge factor. Like, we're just going to kick your ass every single time because we got cut. And it goes back to, like, Al Davis and Jim Plunkett, right? If you want to make a mark, if you want a re- reclamation project, Come to Oakland, or now Las Vegas, and we'll deal with you there. But he's one of those guys that you're going to see and say, he's on Oakland? That's Jordy Nelson, right? Not J.J. Nelson? Oh, the other thing that we have to worry about, you and I, is that we actually picked the right Brown now because Jaron Brown went to one team, John Brown went to the Ravens, and J.J. Brown is still on the Cardinals. So if we're picking a Brown in our fantasy league, we have to make sure to have the right one this year. They're not all on the Cardinals. Just saying. And and Le'Veon Bell is still saying, flipping the Steelers the bird and saying, "I'll see you at the first day. Of, uh, first, I'll see you the day before the first game." As first far game as we're concerned, game. Seth, I'm okay with that. <laughs> There's no risk of tearing an ACL in training camp. We do what we got to do. So we got about five minutes left. Uh, I'll go first. So Larry Kwong. Now, you're going to hear the name Larry Kwong and go, who? Well, Larry Kwong was the NHL's first Asian player. Yeah. He played a shift with the Rangers of all teams, March 13, 1948. And he died at night. What? I don't get it. Why are you laughing? I've, I've never heard this. I've never heard this before. 
Neither had I until today, but he passed away. <laughs> so that's why I heard about it. He, he died last Thursday in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He played one shift. He then uh, joined the New York Rovers, a Ranger farm team, and he led, the, their, he led their team in scoring. So he played uh, a couple of seasons in England and in Switzerland and was inducted into the British Columbia Sports Hall of Fame. Now, we don't hear a lot about hockey in general on this show, other than the Islanders suck. And I've been to two games in the last week, and they've lost them both. And that tells you something when all I'm doing is watching Syracuse at an Islander game with my nieces and nephews. And, but, look, we commemorate all the first, right? Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, Willie O'Keefe in, um, in hockey, sure. uh, the first African-American. And there's a great uh, documentary, actually, on HBO about, about Willie O'Keefe. But we, we, I had never heard of Larry Kwong. You obviously had never heard of Larry Kwong. Look, there's something to be said of being the first and opening doors. So, uh, so uh, rest in peace, Mr. Kwong. 94 years old, that's quite a life. You're up. Well, I want to give props out to one of our Thank boys. you, thank you. Um, thank you, thank you. No, not yet. One of our boys, you and me, not oh. you. I gave, I gave you enough dap earlier today. So Fair. the Bate Isles has, show, has been on our show on and off. He was the first, <laughs> I think he was the first guest host I ever had uh, seven years ago, six and a half years ago. He's been on the show on and off. You know, he comes in, you know, once or twice a year. Him and Sean pretty much yell at each other. It's quite entertaining. I, I, I know Nabate from uh, being on Stump to Schwab and running into him randomly at a Mets game two years later, and we've been friends ever since. He, uh, in my single days, he was a great wingman because, well, he would just make comments and make, make girls like me better. He was about to. <laughs> so, <laughs> about four years ago, he started dating this girl. And, you know, when, when, I, got married, the when I got married. Down, can I finish, please? No he did not pop the question. Yeah, sorry. He did not pop sorry. the question. Okay. When, when I got uh, married down in Puerto Rico. Uh, him and Dina came down, and you know he actually played a, played a song. He's a professional musician, in addition to being a professional, being a uh, working for Sirius Radio and all this, you know, and still doing his own show, which I do every year. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to get engaged to. So that was almost three years ago. Since then, I've gotten married. I have a one and a half year old who I shoot baskets with every day. We have a second on the way. My business has exploded. My wife's business has exploded. I moved out of the city. I'm probably, you know, moving out of Hoboken in the next year or so. And nothing's ever happened. Until tomorrow night. When tomorrow night, after three, four, whatever many long, long years, Nabate is going to pop the question. I'm assuming Dina is not listening because I can't imagine that she does. So to our boy, Nabate Isles, uh, congr- you know, best of luck with it tomorrow, and congratulations, buddy. Couldn't be prouder of you. So, yeah, that's, that's wow. happening tomorrow. Wow. Okay, then. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned. Uh, Navate and I and had this conversation. If anyone, who's, if anyone who's listening to the show knows Navate, please do not bring this up for the next 24 hours. 
Because it would be kind of yeah, annoying because then, how it got back to him. And, and Seth would be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Actually, yeah, well, in some don't, ways, don't I, I, I don't... In, in some ways, I don't think Seth would probably be alive, but uh, but and, and that in itself would be an interesting conversation that I'd like to be a party to. But anyway, uh, yeah. So go Cuse this weekend um, because at least be happy for me. And I say that because all my other teams suck. So uh, so at least root for me and root for Cuse and uh, CJ. I didn't say root for us. So there you go. Uh, for Seth Kamens, this is Sean Palmer, Seth and Sean Sports. We're sorry about the uh, little mix-up earlier today, but we'll make it up to you next week on our Final Four preview and our baseball preview for 2018. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Good luck, Nabate. Have a good one. Bye.